Well, good morning. So grateful that each of you are here today. Our first service uh, saw a lot of uh, brand new people, visitors from out of town for different activities and whatnot that are taking place in town. If you are brand new with us this morning, my name is Charles Gwynn, the lead pastor at Paradise Valley Christian Church here. And I'm glad that those of you online are joining us as well. And again, if you're pretty new, we are going through a series called Follow the Servant, going through the gospel according to Mark. And uh, we started actually this series uh, a year ago, the Sunday after Mother's Day. So just for you uh, individuals out there, Mother's Day is next Sunday, and so be aware of that taking place. And so we've almost come full circle in uh, the course of a year. We're not quite through the book uh, of Mark yet, uh, but we will continue to make our way through. And so we are in Mark chapter 11, verses 27, going all the way through chapter 12, verse 12 this morning. And the title of the message is Rejecting Authority. And uh, when it comes to uh, kids and at times rejecting authority, I oftentimes find that, you know, if a kid doesn't know somebody, they were willing to push the limits on if they're willing to listen to them. Like, you're not my dad or you're not my mom, right? And I think when it comes to the world we live in, there's many people that know of or about Jesus but not a lot that really know Jesus. And I, I think about how in our everyday lives, someone might say, well, do you know so-and-so? Well, I know of them. I know, I know that name, but I don't really know them. And when it comes to our relationship with Jesus, the question comes is, do we really know Jesus or do we just know about Jesus? Some of the things that he's done, the things that he's said. Because if we really know Jesus, then that should cause us to live a different life. That, that should cause change in our lives. And the question that we would really need to ask every single day of our lives is, whose authority are we submitting ourselves to? And as you look at this passage and others throughout the course of Mark, you're going to see that uh, theme taking place. Like, whose authority are people willing to listen to? Jesus is once again going to enter the temple. And of course, as I'm looking at these verses, I'm thinking, you know, he just last week, he threw the tables, uh, you know, upended the tables. And I'm just praising God uh, for all the, the time and effort that went in uh, to Bradley's message last Sunday. He did an amazing job of sharing with us kind of some of those things that were taking place. And again, as you look at these verses uh, there's Jesus coming into the temple once again on the third day of, of his last week of life. And his, his authority is going to be questioned and challenged by the Jewish leaders. And so this morning I want to challenge all of us. When it comes to the authority in our lives, who do we submit to? If you are able and willing to this morning, will you stand as we read from Mark chapter 11, starting in verse 27, all the way through chapter 12, verse 12, and I'll do my very best to keep things moving. Starting in verse 27, they arrived again in Jerusalem, and while Jesus was walking in the temple courts, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders came to him. By what authority are you doing these things? They asked, and who gave you authority to do this? Jesus replied, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I am doing these things. John's baptism, was it from heaven or from men? Tell me. They discussed it among themselves and said, If we say from heaven, 
He will ask, then why, we, why didn't you believe him? But if we say, from men, they feared the people, for everyone held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. Jesus said, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. Verse 1 of chapter 12, he then began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a pit for the wine press, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and went away on a journey. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants to collect from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. But they seized him, beat him, and sent him away empty-handed. Then he sent another servant to them. They struck this man on the head and treated him shamefully. He He sent still another, and that one they killed. He sent many others. Some of them they beat, others they killed. He had one left to send, a son whom he loved. He sent him last of all, saying, They will respect my son. But the tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Haven't you read this scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The the Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Then they looked for a way to arrest him because they knew he had spoken the parable against them. But they were afraid of the crowd. So they left him and went away. Will you pray with me? God, our desire this morning is to allow for your Holy Spirit to work in our hearts and our minds, that your word would be your Holy Spirit's mouthpiece, that our ears would be listening, and God, that again, whatever needs to take place in our lives, you would continue to shape us into who you desire for us to be. May you be glorified in our time together. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. So once again, last week, I really appreciate Bradley sharing uh, the truth from God's word and the, the Jesus clearing the temple. And I appreciate uh, everything that uh, Bradley shared when it came to the reasoning why Jesus did that. And how the Jewish leaders had made the temple, which was supposed to be a place of prayer, into a den of robbers. And one of the things that really stuck with me from last week's message was this idea that the religious leaders of that time were doing something that Jesus was so upset about, that they were creating a barrier between man and God. And that really just stuck with me because I just think about us and our church and and us in our everyday lives. Are we creating, as Christians, barriers between man and God? Or are we allowing to be God to use us to be a gateway between man and God. And as Jesus comes across this fig tree that had the appearance of bearing fruit, but with nothing on the leaves, he compares that fig tree to the Jewish leaders who had the appearance of godliness, but who did not have the fruit of the Spirit 
really living out in their lives. And, and so, uh, again, just a challenging message. If you didn't have a chance to hear that from last week, go back online, listen to it. Uh, those were just amazing challenges from God's Word and appreciate the message that was brought last week. And as we look at these verses from this week, uh, the title of the message is Rejecting Authority. And, and if I was to g- give you some kind of points to, to take notes on, there's just two things that I want us to look at. One is, whose authority? Whose authority is kind of the question that's being asked. And, and yet the second point would kind of be the same thing, like, whose authority? Whose authority are you living by? And so that's kind of where we're going this morning. As you look at Mark 11, verse 27, it's at this point that we would expect Jesus kind of to turn and go the other way. He knows that the the religious leaders of the time are trying to uh, kill him, figure out a way to arrest him. He knows that he's in trouble. And yet, what does Jesus do? He does the opposite of what I would do. I'd be hightailing it out of town. Instead, he comes back into Jerusalem, comes right into the temple. He's walking around, and and he gets there, and there's this immediate confrontation. Again, Jesus doesn't back down. I am not the most confrontational person in the world, okay? Uh, In fact, uh, it just gets my heart beating, and my voice starts to quiver a little bit, and I don't like confrontation. Jesus, at the right moments, was willing to confront to be confronted and to stand up for truth. And if you notice here, there's three groups that show up to confront Jesus. Chief priests, the scribes, and the elders. And they ask Jesus this question. By what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? Now notice that the the Jewish leaders, they don't question whether or not Jesus had authority, right? Right? They realized that he had authority by the things that he was doing, the things that he was saying. There was power in what he, his life was about and what, he was t- what was taking place in his life. And so they're not really questioning like, the fact that he has authority. They just want to know like, whose authority do you, do you show up and you do these things in? And if you look back into Mark chapter 1, verse 22, we encountered the authority of Jesus way back in chapter 1. Jesus was teaching in the synagogue, and the crowd was astonished because Jesus taught, and I quote, as one who had authority. Later we saw Jesus casting demons out of people, which means Jesus has authority over the demonic forces. We saw that Jesus has the authority to heal, but then also in Mark chapter 2, verse 10, we saw that Jesus also has authority to forgive sins. In Mark 3, verse 27, we saw that Jesus has authority over Satan himself when he talks about binding the strong man. In Mark 4, we saw that Jesus has authority over the natural forces when he calms a storm. Over and over again, Jesus is showing that he has all authority and that all things are in subjection to him. Uh, You just can't get away from that all throughout Scripture. And, of course, once again, does that make the religious leaders of the time real happy? No, it doesn't. You know, they're like, oh, that's blasphemy. You're you're claiming to be God. Only the things that you're saying and doing are are coming from God. And and you're saying, you know, if you're from God, that you're God. And and so they had this, this just confrontation taking place. They're trying to figure out how can we get rid of this guy. And so they ask, Who gave you this authority? See, they wanted Jesus to attribute everything he was doing to God. 
so that they could claim that he was blaspheming, to arrest him, to get rid of him. But what does Jesus do? He answers their question with a question. And it's amazing to me all throughout Scripture how often this takes place in the life of Jesus. He answers their question with this question, Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? And again, as we're reading this, we're thinking, well, that's kind of an odd question to ask. How does that pertain to your authority, Jesus? But if you look back at the baptism that takes place there, we're going to see Jesus and John, and in that moment, and the authority given to Jesus in that passage. If you turn back to Mark chapter 1, Jesus comes to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. And in verse 10, it says that when Jesus came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you, I am well pleased. Now the Jewish leaders, they could discredit John's baptism. You know, they could just say, well, John's baptism, he just made that up. It's just something that he made up, and yet if they were to do that, they would face the difficulty of the thousands of people that came to John to be baptized by John because they believed that he was a prophet. And we read that in these verses, and, and if these Jewish leaders were going to try to get the, the masses behind them, they couldn't get them all upset and worked up because then they would be facing you know, the crowd as well. And so they're like, oh man, we can't can't uh, answer that way and and the jewish leaders uh, again are trying to figure all this out because if they say from heaven then again as we re- read here that well then jesus is going to say well why didn't you believe him jesus has them in a no-win situation i don't know how many of you have been in a, several of those in your life but i've been in a few no-win kind of situations and you just kind of pray through those moments and and hear these religious leaders are in a no-win situation there's no way for them to come away from this conversation with their dignity intact but the three groups of religious leaders they kind of come together and they discuss like how can we figure this out what what if we answer this way no we can't do that What, what about this way and so the only answer that they can come up with to somehow save their position is that they say we don't know we don't know, and, and there's times where I ask my kids questions, and they say, I don't know, and that's because they don't really know. But in this moment, these guys are lying. Did you know that? They're lying. They knew, okay? They're, they're lying about the truth of the fact that, yeah, they know. They, of course they knew where John's baptism came from. They just didn't want to admit it because it would either mean obedience to the authority of Jesus or opposition with the majority of the people. See, the truth is staring them directly in the face, and they simply refuse to acknowledge it. And I wonder how many of us do the very same thing on a regular basis. We hear the truth, we read the truth, we study the truth, we, it's staring directly in our faces, and we're not willing to acknowledge it. And so they say, we don't know, which again is a complete lie, but it's all that they can muster so as to not have to bend their knee to King Jesus. And, and I saw that 
growing, you know, doing ministry for 16 years with youth group kids, you know, they'd hear the truth, but they didn't want to change their lives. So they'd say, well, I can't come to youth group because nobody likes me or nobody accepts me or I can't do this uh, because, you know, uh, I can't come at that time. And they make up excuse after excuse after excuse to not bend their knee to the lordship of Jesus because they don't want to give in to that. How often in life do we face situations? Situations that require us to choose to follow Jesus or to reject Jesus. And oftentimes, again, the truth is staring us directly in the face. Do we simply refuse to acknowledge it? Or do we stand for the truth of God's word? If the religious leaders rejected John's ministry, they've already rejected Jesus. It's kind of like if anybody's watched the the Domino Master show that's on TV right now. It's kind of a fun show. They stack a lot of dominoes and then knock them all over. And my point is this, is that because they weren't willing to accept John's ministry, they tip that domino over and it eventually leads to the fact that they're not willing to accept Jesus because those two are tied together. So I wonder whose authority rules in your life this morning. See, the question came, whose authority was Jesus doing this? And of course, he just answers it with another question. And the question for us as we continue this morning is, whose authority rules your life? Is it your own authority or is it God's authority? And so as you get into chapter 12, verses 1 through 12, Jesus challenges the people when it comes to God having authority in their lives. Jesus tells a parable, and the parable, of course, is, is a, maybe a familiar parable for some of you this morning, the parable of the tenants, the story of a landowner who leases a vineyard to tenant farmers to work in his absence. And then, of course, harvest time comes, and he sends a servant to go and, and to receive, uh, uh, to collect a part of the produce. And it, this was common. This wasn't out of the ordinary. He was the landowner, after all and was entitled to a portion of the harvest. But as one commentator put it, the tenants pay their rent in blows. They owed produce from the crops, but instead the servants, the tenants beat the servants. It says they beat him and sent him away empty-handed, and often other servants are sent and receiving the same or worse treatment, and it goes on in these verses, some they beat and some they killed. And as a last resort, the landowner sends his son. Surely his son will command respect. Surely they're going to listen to the son. And one commentator notes, in sending the servants, the landowner is appealing to their integrity as tenants. And in sending his son, he appeals to the right of law. See, besides himself as the landowner, his son had a legal right to go there with authority, to claim what was rightfully theirs. And the son, it differs from the slaves in several different respects. They are many, the servants are many, and the son, he is unique. They are hirelings, perhaps even themselves property, 
He is the heir. They are forerunners, and he is the last and final word of the Father. And as we read these verses, above all, the Son is beloved. The Son would go with the Father's authority to the Father's property to claim the Father's due. And if the tenants reject the authority of the Son, then by default, they're rejecting the authority of the Father, the landowner himself. And sure enough, as the story continues, these tenants, they're, they're not satisfied with just the produce from the land. They think, well, if we can kill the son, then, then we kill the heir. And, and now we become the owners of the land. Yeah, let, let's do that. Let's, let's get rid of the son and let's throw him out of the vineyard. And at this point, the landowner intervenes decisively, destroying the tenants and then leasing the property to the others more deserving. As we read these two sections of Scripture this morning from chapter 11 and now in chapter 12, you wonder, like, how do these fit together? How does this parable make sense in the concept of whose authority? The Jewish leaders had definitely rebelled against God, the rightful owner of the vineyard. They took the good things of God and made them equal to God. They took what was God's and said it was theirs. And as I read these verses, I I wonder in our own lives how we oftentimes have the tendency to do that. The the good things that God has blessed us with, we make them our gods. And at last, God the Father would send His beloved Son with His authority to claim what was rightfully His You see, God became flesh and dwelt among us, and yet Scripture says that his own did not receive him. John 1 verse 11 says, He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. If the Jewish leaders reject the Son of God, then they are rejecting the one who sent him. God the Father himself. And and so Jesus is calling them out, isn't he? He's calling them on the rug. And these Jewish leaders, they do even worse than just reject the Son. The Jewish leaders would take the Son of God and they would kill Him so that in their minds they could own the vineyard. That they could be the bosses. That they would have the authority then at that point. And it's here we see what Romans chapter 11 verse 22 calls the kindness and sternness of or in other translations, the severity of God. See, there's two things that come out in the holiness and the righteousness of God, kindness and sternness. We see the kindness of God towards his people by sending the prophets, warning them, telling them that, hey, repent from your evil ways to the point where he gets to a time that was perfect, it says, and sends his one and only son. And I don't, I, just, I don't know about you, but I just have a hard time comprehending that love that God has for us. To send his one and only son. Maybe to send the prophets, servants, but the one and only son. And I feel like I, if I were the landowner, man, I would have jumped in there way ahead of time, right? If, you, if I had the power to go in and just kind of take those guys out, I'd be like, 
Let's get rid of these guys. And yet, God's character, if you know anything about it, He's a God that is gracious, patient, long-suffering, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should re- reach repentance according to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. We also see the severity of God expressed in verse 9. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. See, a lot of times we like to talk about the kindness of God, His love, His grace, and those are all true things, but there's also in His righteousness that there is severity. That's part of who God is as well, that we have to accept both of those aspects and characteristics of God. Acts chapter 4, verse 12 says that there is no, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. See, there is a judgment coming. We will stand before God. And the only way that we can come before God pure and holy is through the blood of the Lamb. The one and only Son, Jesus. Salvation can only be found in Jesus. And to reinforce this point, Jesus quotes, as in the verses that we read in chapter 12, from Psalm chapter 118, verses 22 through 23, which says, The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone or the capstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And as you read those verses, I personally can't help but wonder, like, what's, what's he saying? What's going on there? Because we know that this is the Lord's doing. We know that this is the plan of God from before the foundation of the world. And we know that his ways are perfect. We know that he is a good father. But how is the rejection of Jesus, the only Son of God, marvelous in our eyes? And I think the only answer that comes is because the Son of God was killed on our behalf. That was the only way. According to God, that was the only way. That was His plan. You see, we are no different than the wicked tenants in this parable. We are no different from the Jewish leaders of that time. Romans 8, verse 7 says, The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. See, there is no part of our natural selves that desires to submit to authority. Uh, it just doesn't come naturally, does it? We, we like to kind of buck the system or push back, and, and we need to change. We, we need a change in our lives. We need a change of heart if we're really going to submit to the authority of God. And we can have all the facts before us, and we can know that we are wrong, but unless the Spirit of God transforms our hearts, we will not submit to the authority of God. And, and you can see that in these verses as you get down to verse 12. These Jewish leaders, they knew. They knew that Jesus told the parable against them. 
They knew that they and their forefathers were the tenants who were supposed to give God his due. They, they knew that their forefathers had shamefully treated the servants and the prophets of God, beating some and killing others. They knew that they themselves were planning the greatest act of rebellion where they were about to kill the beloved Son of God. See, they knew all these things, and yet they would not repent. What about us this morning? Will you? Will you repent? Will you repent and, and are you willing to surrender the authority of your life over to God? Or do you have an authority issue? Because that's really what's taking place here in these verses. And it's not just an issue that the Jewish people at that time were dealing with, these leaders. This is something that every human has dealt with, even from the creation of the world and Adam and Eve and the Garden of Eden. Will they do what God wanted them to do? Or did they do what they wanted to do? And in our minds we think, well, man, they walked with God. Why, why did they give in to their own desires? Why didn't they submit to God's authority in, in those moments? And what about us today? Are we willing to submit to what God wants for us in our lives? Because I think if we're being real this morning, we struggle with authority. How many of you love to do everything that your government leaders ask you to do, right? And we're like, oh yeah, for sure. No, we don't. We don't. Or, or what about, uh, is it difficult at times to do everything your boss asks you to do at work? And you're thinking, you don't know anything about what I do at work. You know, why you tell me what to do? I should be telling, you know, and we have this kind of authority issue taking place. Or maybe some of you growing up really wrestled with some of the decisions that your parents made. All of these instances simply reveal to us that we don't have all authority and at times, we struggle that other people have authority. But I just want to challenge us this morning. There is one who does have all authority. And in whom we can take comfort, knowing that all things are ultimately in his hands. And in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, just before he is about to ascend to heaven, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And so again, I ask the question, whose authority? Whose authority do you live by each and every day? If you are able and willing to, I'm going to read from John Piper's 1998 sermon on the Great Commission. And Piper gives an illustrative list of all the things that Jesus has authority over, and, and much more, I'm sure, but this is the, the list that John Piper came up with. And so if you're able and willing to this morning, will you stand with me? And I just want to picture ourselves before the throne room of God. And as I begin to read this, I'm going to ask the praise team to come. But I just want you to close your eyes and imagine yourself before the throne of God. And hear the authority of Jesus. All authority over Satan and all demons and all angels, good and evil. Authority over the natural universe, natural objects and laws and forces like stars and galaxies and planets and meteorites. Authority over all weather systems, 
winds and rains and lightning and thunder and hurricanes and tornadoes and monsoons and typhoons and cyclones and all their effects like tidal waves and floods and fires. Jesus has all authority over molecular and atomic reality. Atoms, electrons, protons, neutrons, subatomic particles, quantum physics, DNA, chromosomal reality, all plants, all animals. It doesn't matter what size. Whales, redwoods, giant squid, and giant oaks. All fish, all wild beasts, he has authority over. All invisible animals, bacteria and viruses and parasites and germs of every kind, he has authority over. He has authority over all the parts and functions of the human body. Every beat of your heart, every movement of the diaphragm, every little jump across a million synapses in your brain. Jesus has all authority over all those physiological phenomenon in your body. He has all authority over nations and governments and congresses and legislatures and kings and leaders and courts. He has all authority over armies and weapons and bombs and terrorists. All authority over industry and business and finance and currency. All authority over entertainment and amusement and leisure and media. All authority over education and research and science and discovery. All authority over crime and violence in all families and all neighborhoods. And he has authority over his body, the church. And he has authority over every soul in the universe. And every moment and every second of every life lived, now or previously or forever and ever, anywhere in the universe. You may open your eyes. See, this morning, the reality is that Jesus has all authority. He has died. He has risen from the dead. He has triumphed over sin and death. And the question is not whether or not Jesus has authority, because he does. Amen? The question is whether or not you are willing to submit to his authority. Philippians 2, 9 through 11 says that therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, we might reject the authority of Jesus in our lives at times, but that does not change the reality that Jesus has all authority. So how will you respond to his authority? You have to make that decision. You yourself have to decide whose authority will you live by. And we're living in a, in a tough world right now, and it's as if God is asking, am I king over your finances? Am I king over your health? Am I king over your job? Am I king over your family? Am I king over how you spend your time? Am I king 
over your life. See, we need to take a, a hard look at our lives to see if we really believe. Because if Christ is not king over every area of our lives, then he's not really king at all. What authority does Christ have? He has all authority in heaven and on earth. And unless we trust him with every aspect of our lives, until we have submitted to the authority of Jesus, then we will really not know who Jesus is. And so if you this morning need to surrender your life over to the rule of Jesus in your life, we invite you to come. Will you join us as we sing our song of invitation?